Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day and thank you for standing by and welcome to the PETO's Q3 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Darren G. Chief Executive Officer, please go ahead. Well, thanks, Lena, and good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in to PATO's third quarter 2021 results conference call. Uh, before we get started with the call this morning, I would like to remind everybody that all statements made by the company during this call are subject to the forward-looking disclaimer and advisory set forth in the company's news release issued yesterday. Uh, with me in the room today is almost all the PATO management team. Our newly appointed President and Chief Operating Officer, J.P. Lachance, is here to answer your questions, as is Kathy Turgeon, our CFO, Scott Robinson, our VP of Business Development, is here, Dave Thomas, our VP of Exploration, Todd Burdick, our VP of Production, and Lee Curran, our VP of Drilling and Completions, are all here. Uh, only one missing today is Derek Zember, our VP of Land, who's uh, home with the flu, I believe, but I suppose it's that time of year. Before I get started with my comments today about our results, I do want to recognize the efforts of both our office and field personnel this past quarter. We had a really busy quarter of operations and we drilled some fantastic wells in the quarter just in time for the winter heating season and the most recent rally in natural gas prices. So kudos to the team for continuing to deliver the reliable energy that Albertans need to keep them warm this upcoming winter. And we did it with a terrific score for safety and environmental performance. So uh, great job, everyone. Uh, on to third quarter results. Operationally, as I mentioned, it was a busy quarter. We picked up a fifth drilling rig in August, and it's been getting up to speed doing things the paid away. So now we have uh, five rigs that can run steady throughout next year. This was important because we're seeing a real challenge in the Canadian industry these days, both with available equipment and especially with getting qualified people to work on that equipment. And that is not really a problem that goes away if COVID goes away. That's an issue that's likely here to stay for some time, and it will likely put a cap on activity levels and the development of new production, regardless of what the commodity prices really do. So the fact that uh, we at PATO have the capability to drill more and develop more will be a big differentiator going forward for us. We did drill some great wells in the quarter in two of our expansion areas down in South Brazo in an area we call Chambers. We continued to delineate out several different plays there, which is important because it supports the long-term supply for the, nat for the new 50 million a day gas plant we're building there. And uh, in our Cecilia area, which is an area we acquired at the start of the year, uh, we've had some great results uh, up there that have completely filled the half empty gas plant there so now we're offloading incremental volumes to other plants in the area that have excess capacity, but we're also looking at expanding the Cecilia plant with more compression to, to move more gas through that plant uh, a little later. So looking very good up there as well. 
So production uh, grew nicely throughout the quarter. We had said that we expected to hit uh, 100,000 BUEs a day by the end of 2021, and looks like we're likely to hit that number sometime in mid to end of November, so about a month early. And of course, we're not stopping, which means we should exit this year at something slightly higher than that. It'll all really depend on how many wells we can get tied in before Christmas. And then we have a little bit of a Christmas break, and then we'll keep that momentum uh, right into the new year and throughout 2022. Commodity price realizations in the quarter, uh, especially natural gas prices, are, are rising, um, and they're continuing to rise significantly from this third quarter into Q4 21 and, and on into 2022. As we indicated in the release, our Q4 hedge price is 55% uh, higher than what we just got here in Q3. And our Q1 2022 hedge price is over 80% higher than what we received in Q3. So that higher price combined with more production uh, is going to result in very large increases in revenue and cash flow for the quarters coming up. And really our hedge program is still catching up to the spot price. So we expect to see rising fixed prices for a while as we continue to hedge out the forward curve. For this winter, our gas is around, I think, 71% hedge with a fixed price, and for next summer, we're about 69% uh, of our volume has a fixed price on it. So really, that gives us a high level of confidence in our projected revenue and cash flow uh, that's going to fund our capital program for 22, and our debt reduction program, and our dividend that we just announced. So, you know, with this quarter, I think we can finally say that the, the weaker natural gas prices that we've seen over the last few years are finally behind us. Cost-wise, I'm happy to report we held the line on costs in the quarter. Obviously, royalties were much higher due to higher commodity prices, and that was really responsible for almost the entire increase in cash costs from a year ago. And op costs uh, were good. They would have been lower, but we did 10 plant turnarounds in the quarter, so uh, that obviously had some costs associated with it. Todd can perhaps talk more about those later. Transport costs were up and will be for the next year due to some physical transport that we signed up for at, at the border at Empress and on the main line to Emerson. And then those contracts will start to roll off as we put some other diversification uh, efforts in place. G&A costs in the quarter, of course, were minimal uh, due to Pato's small team and the relative size of our capital program and production base. Uh, our interest costs were down quite a bit as both our debt and our interest rate dropped and that's because of a, a falling debt to EBITDA ratio this past quarter. Uh, this interest charge should continue to fall pretty steadily as we move forward with the lower interest uh, charges of the new credit facility and as our debt is materially reduced. And, and that lower interest charge should really help offset the higher royalty costs due to the rising commodity prices. In total though, I think we're doing a good job of maintaining our significant cost advantage over the industry I think the other advantage we're maintaining over the industry is our environmental performance, quite frankly. We've accomplished a lot over the last five years with methane emissions reduction. After we finish up working on the individual well sites to reduce uh, virtually all the methane emissions there, uh, we can turn our attention to our facilities and see what we can do to lower CO2 emissions at those locations and with that equipment. Like we mentioned in the release, I believe long-term that we're going to be able to capture the majority of CO2 emissions from our facilities and dispose of that CO2 in deep underground storage reservoirs. Of course, that's going to take some time. It's going to take some money and perhaps a bit of innovation even to accomplish all of that, but that would be our long-term goal, and 
that should ensure that Pado and its natural gas is around for a long time to come into the future. Speaking of a long time, it's, uh, I've been the president of Pado for 15 years now, and it's finally time to recognize a guy that's been responsible for Pado behind the scenes, and that is J.P. Lachance, Jean-Paul. Uh, so this quarter, as part of our longer-term succession plan, we decided to make that recognition official by promoting J.P. to the position of president, as well as being the chief operating officer that he was before. Of course, J.P. has the whole Pado team behind him for support, as he always has, and he has the very experienced and seasoned management team in this room to help him lead Pado into the future. And I'll continue to be here for a good while yet to serve as CEO and to make the leadership change seamless and smooth. And lastly, and probably most excitingly for the quarter, um, as part of the quarterly release, the board decided to reinstate the monthly dividend shareholders at $0.05 cents per share, or about $100 million annually. Uh, we've managed to earn close to $150 million over the last four quarters while also reducing our debt. And considering the free cash flow that we're projecting for 2022, we can afford to pay a much more significant dividend now while still achieving our ongoing debt reduction targets. So uh, great to see that, uh, that dividend bump. Anyway, that's uh, pretty much a quick summary of the quarter. A uh, very solid quarter, both operationally and financially. And so I just wanted to uh, get to any questions from listeners uh, that are participating today. So, Celine, maybe we can throw it open to questions from those listening in. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. We have our first question coming from the line of Chris Thompson with CIBC. Your line is open. Good morning, and thanks, everyone. Um, so, Darren, outside of the 15% inflation that you highlighted in your 2022 preliminary budget, are you expecting any other inflationary impacts, uh, whether it be to your operating costs, G&A, or, or otherwise? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's obviously topical these days. Um, there's probably two places that inflation comes in. Um, you know, Lee, maybe you can talk a little bit about the operations, drilling and completions on the capital side about inflation, and, and maybe we can turn to Todd and he can talk about some of the operating cost inflation that we might be exposed to. Yeah, sure. It's, I mean, what's going on right now is a, just a classic pricing response to, to low supply and, and increased demand. Um, Lack of supplies are, is the main driver right now, and I think whether you're out there shopping for a for a new F-150 or you're looking for a string of casing, you're uh, you're suffering the similar consequence. We, we're struggling right now as an industry um, to keep 170 rigs running, um, which is startling. The, the biggest elements we're dealing with right now is a shortage of personnel and and steel, specifically uh, tubulars, casing, and, and tubing. Um, this is going to keep a pretty short leash on industry, um, and it's going to, in turn, create a supply issue with our goods. Um, you know, that effect is going to be higher commodity pricing. Um, controlling inflation itself, you know, it's it's one of those things we've we've put a 15% number in. I think that's conservative, but um, but in reality, it's going to be secondary to most for most operators. Um, relative to simply getting what they need to fill, fulfill ambitious capital plans. 
Um, you know, these contractors have been struggling for several years. They've got ambitions to return earnings uh, along with that. They're experiencing direct inflationary pressures. Their labor's going up. Their consumables are going up. Um, and a lot of the equipment sitting in, this, in, this, in the basin has been sitting racked. Um, it's, it's been serving as a parts depot and it's been pilfered to the point where it's going to take a lot of capital to get some of this idle gear back up and running. Um, it just hasn't been any injected for so long. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, equipment that you can't activate at the snap of the fingers. So, so our approach really, we started veering off on a different path to most other operators a few years back. Um, this industry is notorious for this push and pull relationship between operators and, and contractors. Um, you know, everybody kind of trying to hold the upper hand when, when the environment's right. So we kind of veered off a couple of years ago um, and we, you know, we had stable, active uh, capital program. We, we continued to demand the highest quality personnel and, and execution. And with that, we were offering, at the time, a fair level of compensation that certainly wasn't bolstering anyone's bottom lines, but we, we allowed our contractors to survive um, for the better days ahead, and those, those days seem to be on our doorstep now. So, uh, you know, we need these guys. Um, and, and we reminded them of that throughout the, the entirety of the last couple of years. Um, we've had long-standing and very transparent relationships, and we're con confident we're going to see some advent advantageous treatment in regards to both supply and pricing on this upswing. Right now, the 15% estimate is, is just that. It's an estimate. Um, I don't know that anybody has a crystal ball on where this is going to land. Um, Price increases on our tubulars alone have swallowed the lion's share of that already. Um, so that's not to say we're we're kind of telling everybody that that they can hit us with a 15% price increase right now. Um, we expect tubulars to start normalizing towards the end of Q2 or early Q3, and uh, and that should provide a buffer to allow some of those services. At that point in time, to maybe bump up some pricing when we have uh, when we see the some reprieve in our in our steel price, um, and that should coincide. That coincides with our our drilling rig contract renewals. So, so we're kind of locked in on rates there. We had a little bit of bump on pricing with with labor increases, wage increases. Um, so we'll see. I think I think we're sitting pretty good through the winter. Um, we're working hard to manage expectations with our contractors, um, and these guys all, I think, recognize that Pato's capital program and, and our position on pricing through the last several years has, has kept many of them afloat. So regardless, regardless of the broader inflationary picture, we expect to remain in a, in a top position relative to the rest of the industry. I don't, I don't know what else they can really about that. Well, and Chris, you probably remember a couple of years ago when we talked about the fact that even though our capital program had shrunk quite a bit, we were spreading it around. We had four rigs running at sort of 50% run rate to try and keep the equipment warm and the people employed and, and, and there so that we didn't lose them. So, you know, that's serving us well right now because now we have those same people in that same gear and we can run them flat out in a busier environment, uh, but we're not as, as subject to some of the other 
you know, inexperience that's starting to creep its way back into the industry and that kind of thing. So it's, uh, you know, I think that was a good plan back then, and uh, we're kind of reaping the rewards of that now. Um, you know, to further answer your question, maybe, Todd, you could talk a little bit about operating costs and some of the inflation we might be seeing there. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, to echo some of what Lee said as far as uh, the service providers that we have out there, similarly on on the operating side with, with some of the contractors that are out there, you know, performing services for us, we've kept them busy and, and we've looked after them. So, um, you know, I think we'll continue to, uh, with that promise that we'll continue to keep them working, I don't think we'll see, you know, significant increases, maybe a, a fuel surcharge here, there, that sort of thing, but nothing that, that should impact us in that way. Uh, there's some things, you know, chemicals, we've seen some significant pricing increase on, on methanol, for example. Um, the market market prices, you know, double what it was a year ago. But we have locked in uh, a really good price. Uh, we did that in August. We typically do that in August when the prices are lowest. Uh, so that's going to protect us uh, for the remainder of the year uh, significantly. Although, you know, it was a higher, a locked-in price higher than, than a year ago, um, you know, it, it is protecting us a little bit. Uh, lubricants, you know, we use a lot of oil, a lot of, lot of lubricating oil. Um, that obviously floats with, with the price of WTI to a large part, a little bit with CPI as well. So, so we, we do anticipate seeing a little bit of increase there. Um, power's another one that's, uh, you know, it's a tough one. Uh, Alberta produces 70% of its power through natural gas uh, generation. So if the power price is high, then we're making more money selling natural gas. But however, we we generate power through the grid about at about 90% of our, our our usage. So uh, that's we're going to feel that on the operating side. But you know that's. Uh, surpassed significantly by the incremental revenue that we're seeing. So overall, I don't think we're, we're going to see some inflation, but I don't see it being anything that's going to really shock us. Great. Great. Thanks for the color. Um, next question for me, just um, in terms of well abandonments and reclamations, um, you know, I, ha I haven't seen any cash outlays come through on your financials with that. So um, perhaps you could add a little bit of color on company strategy for how it manages its abandonment liabilities? All our wells are still producing, Chris. They're not ready to be abandoned yet. They're going to produce for decades more. No, just kidding. I mean, we do have a, a few odd well that uh, might be a candidate for abandonment that we're looking at. Um, you guys want to jump in on that? Yeah, sure. I, I think that uh, every year we spend uh, – you know, roughly about a million dollars on <clears throat> on abandonments, or certainly suspensions that generally lead to abandonments. Uh, maybe not so much reclamation work, but and we have targeted for for the next uh, two or three years to continue to spend that. Uh, the recent announcement by the Alberta government around uh, expectations, or sorry, uh, from the AER would be to, to for us to spend around another million dollars next year. So that's in line with our budgets and what we'll continue to spend. But as Darren indicates, we don't have a lot. To do really, uh, you know. Yeah, we're in the we are in the process right now of, of consuming our um, our SRP allotment um, as well. So we've we're well into that program, and that's 
probably another in total with uh, with our phase five funds. It's close to two million bucks, so we're we're active on that right now. It's just not significant, Chris, because you know I, I, I say that facetiously, but the reality is that almost all of our wells are still producing today, and especially with the higher gas price, even the lower rate wells are still very commercial. So we just we don't have that liability. Gotcha. Okay, um, and sorry, last question for me. Um, in terms of debt levels, so for 2022, um, you know, what are you targeting in terms of um, an absolute debt level? And then I guess, um, you know, on, on, on your estimates, what does that translate to in terms of uh, relative debt levels to cash flow? Yeah, I mean, for us, it is more of a debt to cash flow target that we're looking at. Um, and it should be because we could see some commodity price changes um, throughout the year, right? And that would change our cash flow projections. But I think, um, you know, we are looking to be uh, one times debt to EBITDA by the end of next year. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Um, you know, I, that's sort of where the industry's gone, I think, in terms of deleveraging. Um, and we've got the majority really of 2022 cash flows uh, locked up with a lot of hedging that we're continuing to do into 2022. So we feel quite confident about where we're going to get to in terms of balance sheet. And that was obviously one of the big drivers in uh, deciding uh, how much dividend we could afford. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll turn it back. Great. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. We have our next question coming from the line of David Fandler. Your line is open. Uh, good morning. Uh, I wondered if you could give us an update on the uh, construction of the gas-fired electric uh, generating plant you're going to be supplying and some information about uh, how you plan to increase production to supply that plant and just review how the gas is going to be priced and how that pricing fits into the diversified uh, marketing structure you've been developing in the past couple of years. Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, so that uh, Cascade power plant that's being built by Kineticor, um is right close to our Swanson plant. Um, we have been sort of tracking their uh, activity. They, they have a website as well that you can Google and find, and, and they show updates to uh, their activity on that website. 
Uh, Todd, we've got guys that drive by there every day, so what, do you, what are the guys seeing when they're out there in the field? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we're meeting with Cascade every now and then. They're giving us updates, and uh, they're, they're making great progress. Uh, you know, they showed us some, some pictures of the site this summer, and uh, uh, they're, you know, it's pretty amazing. It's quite a big project, and they have a lot going on, a lot of foundations already set, uh, getting ready to, you know, put buildings and move equipment in. As we understand it, um, this summer we we put the final connection into their facility, the final pipeline connection, about 350 meters, so that that's in there, so that that accommodated some of the construction that they have going on, and then we'll look to, you know, work on our pipeline, you know, later in 2022 or early 2023. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. There, I, I think they're from all our understanding, they're they're on schedule for their anticipated startup. Late 2023. You want to add something? Yeah, not not a whole lot to add. Uh, um, it's been a very good uh, working relationship with Cascade, and we're really looking forward to supplying the gas. One of your questions, uh, Nathan, is it? I think. I think. Uh, Sorry, it's David. Or David. One of the questions was the the sourcing of the gas, and we've got a very diversible diverse diversified and flexible uh, portfolio, so I, I don't think there'll be a real problem in, in meeting the needs. Uh, our infrastructure is very well connected out there and, and should be able to supply this gas for a very long period of time, so um, you know, we'll be drilling continuously uh, into the startup uh, time, which is likely going to be, it could be early uh, as, uh, based on the progress they're, they're making here, but it, it likely will be in 2023. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, it, it is impressive what these guys are doing. They're starting to move in the big pieces of equipment right now, and uh, we'll get a better gauge on their completion time here in the next, uh, during 2022. Yeah, no, no small construction project at a, what, a billion six or something? It's the capital expectation for that uh, facility, something in that order. Um, Contract-wise, David, we're we're bound by confidentiality with our uh, gas purchase agreement with Connecticut, so we can't really divulge much uh, there. Uh, needless to say, we, we obviously do have a, a contract that ties the Alberta Power Pool price to our realized price. We, we get paid in effectively in the electrical price, but that translates back to us into uh, some sort of realized gas price. But we feel good that uh, the the contract that we have with them will, will realize a, a fair gas price effectively for us with the types of power pool prices we're seeing. Um, you know, when we did the contract with them, I think Alberta pool price was hovering around in the sort of $30 to $50 megawatt hour. Um, today, Alberta power pool prices are 90 90 to 100, 140, 140, 150 at times. So, I mean, Albertans are definitely seeing that in their power bills every month. Uh, but that obviously translates into a much higher uh, natural gas price realization for us. Ultimately, I think by probably 2023 and when this plant is up and running, Alberta will have uh, a very large percentage of its power being generated from natural gas will have turned off the majority of the coal-fired power in the, in the province, and there's only a very small amount of renewables that really contributes, and even that has to be backed up by the natural gas. 
So there, there should be a fairly good tie between power pool prices and what the gas price is, and, and hopefully we come out uh, at least fair on that relationship. It is a 15-year commitment to deliver gas to them, um, and we've, uh, we've committed about half of the volume that they're going to need um, for that 15-year period. And like Scott said, we've got all our gas plants interconnected so that we can flow gas from pretty much anywhere in Greater Sundance to this uh, facility if need be. Um, and, you know, I would really say that we're so advantaged by being directly connected to them, we save a lot of cost, pipeline toll, uh, really, uh, anybody else who wants to supply gas to them has to put their gas on Nova, pay, to, pay a receipt toll to get onto Nova, and then Connecticut has to pay a delivery toll to get off of Nova with that same gas. And so we save both pieces of that toll by directly connecting to them. And I think likely we will supply more than just the 50% that, that we've committed to. It makes economic sense for us to supply more. So whether we... Uh, we supply some for the others that have committed gas to them, and in exchange, we do uh, some sort of relationship with those parties. Uh, we'll see. But, um, yeah, we're excited for the plant to get up and running and excited to be a very significant part of the uh, Alberta pool grid here when it comes to electricity. Can the capital cost? Yeah, the last thing, Dan, the, the plant efficiency, this plant will be state-of-the-art uh, one of the best efficiencies environmentally in terms of the energy output per energy input. So that, that will bode very well on the pricing grid as well. Can the capital cost of any incremental production be funded internally by cash flow? Absolutely, David. Uh, you know, our, our plan is obviously to have a portion of our production dedicated to this facility, um, and it's a portion of our total that we're projecting. Um, if you've looked at our marketing uh, slide section of our presentation, you can see that we've already provisioned for the wedge of uh, volume that's going to go to Kineticor. Uh, much like any other diversification that we would look at, this is the industrial piece that we'd like to get in our portfolio. We, we want to have some gas obviously exposed to you know, Eastern Canadian markets, some exposed to the U.S. markets, uh, some exposed to the industrial heartland here in Alberta, and then, you know, eventually maybe even some exposed to West Coast LNG. So it's just a, a part and parcel of our total diversification. Okay, thanks a lot. You bet. Great question. Thank you. We have our next question coming from the line of Nathan Schwartz. Your line is open. Oh, hi. Uh, my question is about Pato's green initiatives. Um, Pato's done a great job reducing scope two and scope three emissions. My question is really about scope one emissions from fuel combustion. Uh, the Alberta hydrogen roadmap has talked a lot about things like blue liquid ammonia and blue hydrogen. And my question really is, uh, how do you look at scope one emissions and how and when might to start focusing on that challenge. Yeah, so you're right, uh, Nathan. Um, scope one emissions for us are defined as what, Todd? Uh, that's basically what's coming out of our plant. That's the burning of, of natural gas for fuel is the biggest one. So it, it's, it's the energy we consume to produce the energy that we sell, in effect, right? So. We know that 
every truck that drives around in our field burns fuel. We know that every drilling rig burns fuel, every frac pumper burns fuel, and uh, those are emissions. And then all of our plants obviously uh, run, we have, we have gas-fired compressors at all of our plants, none of them are electric. So it's the exhausts from those gas-fired compressors. Uh, if we have uh, power generation at those plants, then it's the gas that we burn to generate our own electricity that is the emissions there. And so we talked uh, in the press release about the fact that, you know, our, our, our first goal when we started to really address our environmental emissions was to look at the uh, fugitive invented emissions at the well site. We knew that there was uh, an opportunity to replace some equipment at our individual well sites to eliminate, to try and eliminate the majority of that little bit of vented methane, because that has obviously a, a significant impact in terms of environmental emissions, methane being more potent than CO2. Um, and so we started there and we've been actively working on that program trying to get our field out at the well sites as clean as possible and now we're starting to look at our well site or our, our, our gas plants and our, our major facilities and those emissions and so when we look at that we're looking at capturing of course any the releases at those sites, but also any consumed fuel at those sites, you know, the exhaust CO2, if you will. That's a little big, bigger challenge, obviously, uh, not unlike trying to capture the CO2 emissions from the tailpipe of your car. Uh, we're trying to do it on these great big engines that run our big compressors. Um, it, it takes a significant amount of capital, obviously, to not only capture the exhausts, but then to purify it into the components that we need to dispose of, and then we've got to dispose of that component. Um, so we're just starting to look at that now. We, we've done a big study to evaluate where we're going to put it all, and uh, we've got a lot of deep Leduc and Devonian reservoirs below all of our greater Sundance area that can easily accommodate all of these emissions once we try and capture them. And so uh, that's good. You know, in a lot of cases, a lot of producers don't have that available disposal reservoir. They're going to have to ship it uh, to a distant location to have it disposed of, and that's going to be awfully expensive. So we're looking at right below us. Um, we would need to drill some in disposal wells, obviously, but we're kind of practiced at drilling wells, having done it for 23 years now. Um, and really we're looking at, you know, bolting equipment onto our existing gas plants to try and capture that. That technology is still kind of at its infancy, but uh, we definitely see that's the path forward to capturing the majority of our CO2 emissions at our gas plants. Okay, that's helpful. Let me just quickly follow up. I suppose my question is more broadly um, about the energy that you sell. And um, in the past, you've talked about using Big Sunny as part of a blue hydrogen strategy. And what I'd ask is, you know, how do you view the path to blue hydrogen or to blue liquid ammonia as a product that you sell? Yeah, really, it's, that path, I think, is demand-driven, um, you know, as there's more and more uptake for those types of fuels then our industry and ourselves will be well positioned to respond to that by turning our natural gas into those fuels for consumption. Um, that obviously requires some process, uh, 
refining process, if you will, or uh, further facility process, uh, we can look at either being the owner of that process or we can look at outsourcing that, similar to say how we outsource fractionation uh, of our LPG. So I think um, obviously we're going to work part and parcel with the industry uh, and with even some of the government initiatives uh, on that. But I think a lot of it too has to be driven by the demand side. Um, you know, there's no point in producing a whole bunch of hydrogen if no one's going to buy it. And uh, we have to see the demand side pick up and there, there be a call for that type of fuel. And I think we will be able to respond as an industry quite quickly to that call as it evolves. You want to add something? Just, yeah, there, there is uh, interest, and you ask about ammonia. There is a early stage project concept uh, in our in our area, and uh, should that project, you know, get some traction and and uh, move forward, we certainly would be a, uh, a candidate to supply gas. But like Darren says, most of these things are beyond our scope, and we, you know, the the, the uh, methane. Uh, the carbon hydrogen bonds that contain the energy, we, we can supply that to whatever process it is, be it a, a syngas process that makes methanol or that makes uh, um, eventually ammonia or, or, or hydrogen. Those are all exciting opportunities that lie ahead, but there's several steps that uh, are in between uh, now and when that happens, I think. There is, there is this one project, and we're in early stage discussion on it. Great. I thank you, and I thank you for being such a good steward of my money. You're welcome. <laughs> You're going to get some back. Thank you, and there are no further questions on queue. Presenters, please continue. Well, great. Um, we did have a couple questions come in overnight. Uh, one of them was about the... Uh, the statement that we made in the press release about how our internal rate of returns were uh, extremely high right now. And uh, JP, I wondered if you could maybe expand upon that comment. Sure. Thanks, Darren. I think um, this time of year, every year, we, we have a tendency to go to look back at our program that we've drilled to date and have a close look at its at the results. And I mean, it's a precursor, it's a, it's a requirement, it sets up our plan for next year, so it's an important process that we do every year. And we look back at about 61 wells so far this year that we have some production history, and that's made up of about a third uh, Navacuan, a third Cardium, and a third of our well-rich, predominantly our extended reach horizontals. So when we look at that program to date, we're, you know, we're pleased to see that the rate of return of that drilling program looks like it'll yield us around 112% rate of return, which is pretty impressive. I mean, an important part of that, too, is that these wells, we expect, well, some have paid out already, and we'll ex we expect a lot more to pay out by year-end and, and into, into ne early next year. So the program has certainly been very successful. And, of course, that includes a, a, you know, a provision for other costs outside of just the drill complete and tie-in of those wells. You know, the pipelines and the plant work that we've done is included in that as a, a sort of a guide or a, a measure of full cycle economics. So certainly a good program. And these successes have happened all across Pato's assets. Uh, you know, but the standouts clearly, as, as you indicated there earlier, uh, the Nauticuan in, in uh, Cecilia, the Cardium in Chambers, you know, and our, of course our Wilrich extended reach horizontals are working out quite nicely, and that's both in Sundance and, and the Brazo area. So quite, quite pleased with that. 
And, you know, clearly price is a reason uh, why these economics are so good. Uh, but the team has also managed to get both our, you know, the productivity of these wells up and the costs down. You know, when we look at cost per meter, cost per stage, cost per ton, uh, they're all lower across, across all our key species. Um, and then when you factor in the, you know, the purchase that we made earlier this year, the, the, the about $35 million we spent on buying the Cecilia assets, and you, and you add in the, the base production that comes along with that, our total capital program this year should yield us around 100% rate of return. So that's certainly the best returns that I've seen since I've been here. And, um, you know, why is that important? Well, looking forward to 2022, uh, we plan to drill a similar program, similar size program, similar uh, mix of the species that we've drilled this year. And uh, we've obviously added in some inflationary costs, as, as, as Lee alluded to and, and Darren and we did in our press release. Uh, but even with those costs, inflationary costs in there, we see a lot of these species returns that are in that 100% range, and we expect that those, and those payouts will be in, in less than a year. So it helps take some of the pressure off with respect to, you know, uh, commodity price risk, as it were. And, and, you know, we hope to actually partially mitigate, at least, uh, you know, the cost inflation with operational efficiencies as well. So there's that factor as well. So, I, you know, I think the team, you know, they're ready, and they're excited about the 22 program. And uh, certainly pleased with the results so far this year. Okay, thanks, JP. Um, the, the one other question that uh, came in overnight with was respect to um, sort of our, our debt profile, uh, rising interest rates potentially as a, a response to inflation. Um, Kath, we issued that note, uh, I guess it was after the quarter, but uh, it was included in our press release. Uh, pretty good priced uh, interest rate, but um, you know how, mu how much interest rate risk do we have with uh, sort of some of this inflation pressure that we're, we're all talking about? Well, that's a good question, Darren. <laughs> Obviously, the interest rates are starting to be forecast to rise. Uh, Bank of Canada rates probably mid next year, and that is going to affect the underlying interest rates that we pay on our revolving debt. So. Um, as part of our strategy is the debt repayment. And so we're seeing our revolving debt or variable rate debt declining from about $700 million right now at the end of Q3 uh, down significantly um, by the end of 2022, where our fixed portion of the debt is actually going to start to be the more um, higher portion of our mix. And that's going to expose us to less and less variable interest rate risk. So by the time, you know, we see interest rates really ramping up in 2022 and into 2023, uh, just the, the actual dollar amount that we will see being exposed to that will be quite small. Therefore, the risk is, well, it's certainly there. Um, it's, it's not going to be that um, material to us. Okay, good. Um, and then maybe uh, just a final question, Dave, if uh, maybe I can ask you about uh, some of the, the future drilling inventory that we're looking at. Um, we obviously drilled, uh, started to drill uh, on that new ac acquired property in Cecilia. We've had some, some good results there. Um, it, without giving too much away, maybe you could speak a little bit about what, what plays we've started to delineate, maybe what interesting things we found. and. Uh, you know, what's, what's our inventory looking like up in that area? Uh, <clears throat> sure, sure, Darren. Uh, the 
Cecilia acquisition is, is really turning out to be a big success story for us. It's one of those instances where the upside is unfolding uh, just as we'd hoped and perhaps even better. Uh, the wells drilled table in the, in the press release really doesn't tell the story. The table groups wells by which gas plant they flow to, but uh, Cecilia is located wonderfully smack dab in the midst of our infrastructure, so gas uh, has a choice of several plants to flow to. So we've actually drilled eight wells uh, so far, six nauticunes and two upper filares on, on what we term as the Cecilia lands, plus we have two more nauticunes to finish up drilling uh, here in Q4. Uh, there's also uh, three additional wells that uh, were drilled farther south uh, in the Ansel area. Uh, those lands are actually also li linked to the, uh, the Sicilia acquisition. And, and next year we'll have one, one rig dedicated uh, pretty much entirely to Sicilia and, and we, uh, we hope to drill about 18 wells uh, there uh, in, in the budget. Uh, those are mostly not Aquans. Uh, but we, we plan to, uh, to, uh, to, to also test the liquids-rich uh, Dunvegan. So that's, that's, that's really going to be a first for us in, in, the, uh, in the greater Sundance area. So the Cecilia lands are, uh, are far, far, far enough up north to uh, in, include some Dunvegan opportunity. Uh, the actual inventory at Cecilia was estimated to be just shy of about 100 wells. Uh, including 30 nauticuans and, and 50 cardiums. But uh, what we're seeing so far uh, are, are giving hints that the depth of the nauticuan inventory uh, may actually be underestimated. And that's really important because the nauticuans we've drilled so far have turned out to be very prolific, uh, with uh, several estimated to uh, pay out in less than a year. Uh, all in all, it's a great success story. Uh, and I'm sure you'll be hearing more positive updates uh, in the future. All right, good stuff. Well, that's a pretty good note maybe to end on. Um, I don't see any additional questions, so uh, thanks everybody for listening in, and uh, it's been an exciting quarter for us, and uh, really the start of, I think, uh, the next chapter of PETO, which is looking very interesting. We've got some Pretty fantastic commodity prices driving some incredible returns. Uh, we've got lots of inventory. Uh, we've got the gear to get it done and, uh, and the people as well. So uh, we're pretty excited about the next 12 months. Uh, we're going to put our head down and, uh, and get that activity done and make sure that we can achieve uh, those fantastic-looking financial forecasts that we have. And, uh, and we'll be back to you every quarter to update you on how that's going. So I encourage everybody to listen in and check the website often, and I'll, uh, I'll keep the monthly reports coming. Thanks again for uh, listening in this morning. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live 
bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.